Journey Church, good morning. Man, I'm talking. You guys are ready. I love it. Good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here. It has been an amazing series that he is greater than I. Do you agree? Man, come on. Yeah, come on. Well, I mean, we as a staff and pastors think it was a good series, whether you do or not. So it's been a great time together. Welcome you guys online for joining us this morning. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, this is week three, and he is greater than I. This will be the last uh, part of this series. And so I'm excited to be able to bring uh, the message to you today and to share with you guys. And it's been wonderful to walk through Scripture with Pastor Mike the last two weeks and to look specifically at the passage in John 3.30. And it reads very plainly, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Pastor Mike has spent two weeks really focusing hard on this thing of looking at the life of John the Baptist, especially in this passage, teaching those that followed him about the one that was coming. He would say, hey, it's not me. You're not really following me. You're following the one that I'm following. Very much like Paul would say as well later on in the New Testament. But John the Baptist continued to teach and preach, and he, he was baptizing those that were changing to the way, which is what would be nicknamed for those that would follow Jesus. And then for Jesus himself to come and to say, hey, I need you to baptize me. John the Baptist say, no, I can't. I'm, I'm really unworthy. I'm not even, I mean, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus is like, I have to do this. I have to be obedient to the Father to continue to show others what it means to live a life of public ministry and to live a life that's changed. And so that he is greater than I, I believe is like this great philosophy that we look at. And it's a great message. It's a great series. But it began to like mold into my brain and go, man, I, I mean, I'm not really sure. Do we really believe that? And that's kind of the, the, the text that we'll look at today is this question right here is, do we really believe that he is greater than I? And when I sat and when I listened and I looked and I really began studying, this really weird word popped into my head. And you that have known me for a while, I'm just one of those kind of weird guys. I think on things too much and I usually come up with something pretty obscure. But I came up with this word looking at this, he greater than I, and do we really believe it? And I came up with this word called numbers. Not the book of the Bible. People are really holy. I'm talking like numbers, like the numbers that, that exist in life. Like when you go to the gas pump, those numbers that depress you. Uh, sometime around April the 15th, you know, those numbers that depress us. The numbers that we're told in school that matter so much. Again, my algebra teacher in high school, and Miss Stimridge, if you're watching, I'm really sorry. I still do not use algebra ever. Um, I've been out of high school lots of years. I never, I don't think that numbers and letters and multiplication signs should ever go together. That is just confusing to me. That's like mixing, yeah, thank you, thank you. That's like mixing bacon grease with lettuce. It doesn't work. And so we, we focused on these numbers that we see. And it began, it got me to thinking so much about numbers. Numbers like this, like four out of five dentists recommend Trident gum. And some of you go, hey, four out of five dentists, that means I can chew gum. It's okay. You know what it does in my head? Remember, I'm weird. I'm sorry. It tells me that only one dentist out of five are really true to their calling. <laughs> that they care about our, our dental health, that we should not be eating sugar. And one guy, the lone guy going, you just don't do it. And the other four are like, yeah, go ahead. We want your money, right? True to the call. Here's another one. I found this research as well. One third of grown adults, that's the majority of this room. You're not over there in this section of the church. So you sleep with a comfort thing. 
One third of adults in this room. So that's like this side of the room over here. Y'all didn't grow up. You still got your Woody, your teddy bear, your thumb, whatever it is. You're comfortable in the bed with, with one third of adults. Are you serious? And listen, right now, last, well, one of the last stats I'm going to give you, 100% of people named Brandon are really regretting their parents' name and then that right now. See what I'm saying? Like, these are the numbers I think of when I think of, do we really believe? Do we really believe that he is greater than I? Numbers, they're important. They tell us things. They tell us patterns. I want you guys to check this out. Pew Research, which exists only to, to look at culture and trends happening today, they're nonpartisan. They're not biased. They just look at trends and things, and they give us numbers based on so many things in this world. Look at this right here. Pew Research said 65% of American adults identified as Christian. This is down 12% over the last decade, and only 62% of American adults even attend a religious service once or twice a month. That means that in this room right now, 50% of the people come once or twice a month. So, you know, again, numbers, they're, they're important. You see what I did there? 100% of people named Brandon. I made it personal. What if I were to ask you guys this question in the room and at home? How many of us actually worship more than two times a month? Would you be willing in this room to raise your hand? I'm not asking you to. But I, would, I wonder if we would be shocked if you would say, yeah, I'm just one person who goes about half the time. And again, 62, 65% of Americans only, only say that they're um, identified as Christian. Identified as Christian. That doesn't mean they're actually living the life. That just means they identify as Christian. I go to church, I'm a Christian. You know, I don't really commit some of the major sins, I'm a Christian. I look at the Ten Commandments and do everything I can to observe about 40% of them, I'm a Christian. Like, that's what I mean by identify. They just checked the box or they checked yes. And that's down 12% over the last decade. So the trend it's teaching us is that more and more people are trending away from Christianity. More and more people are trending away from faith, which means more and more people agree, do not agree that he is greater than I. In fact, most people would agree with this right here, is that it's a me over he mentality. And I truly believe this, guys. And again, this is not a stat. This is Brandon's personal belief is that we have a me over he mentality because we only believe that he is greater than I one out of seven days a week. And it's for roughly about an hour and a half. That Jesus has become a priority to us only on a Sunday morning at a certain hour or a certain hour plus that we get to gather with other believers, but we will live the rest of our week just like this right here. I mean, notice how big he is. He's huge. Me is huge in this, in this passage. Can we go back to that screen real quick? Go back right there. Me over he. We're going to live a life where we say, hey, I love you for about an hour a week. I worship you for about an hour a week. But the rest of the time, man, I'm really choosing me. Which is why we end up with statistics that tell us 65% down 12% over a decade. And we continue to see that half of us, 62%, will only worship once or twice a month. They will gather with a body and worship together. How many of us would practice what Jesus told us to do? Jesus gave us some very, very simple commands. He said, they was asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, 
soul, mind, and strength. And he goes, but the second. He didn't say the remaining. He said the second is much like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I want to make it very clear. Worship isn't just gathering together. Worship is a life that follows Jesus. And to know that, again, that we say that only 62% would say we worship one, maybe two times a month. We spend very little time worshiping, following, chasing, because I believe we don't have a life that truly does believe that Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did and the lives that were changed. And we're going to look today specifically at, 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 at some characters in Scripture. We're going to look specifically at a point in time when someone went from unbelief to true belief and then lived it out. I want you to look at this passage with me. It's in Genesis 3. And I want you to see that Satan has been someone since creation who is doing everything he can to disrupt what God intended. If we know anything about Satan, we know that he was a worship leader in heaven. And he was, you know, he was so taken in that when he would sing and lead, people would sing songs that he thought were to him. And he went, hey, I'm just as great as the creator. Look at what people are doing to me. And he was missing the point of worship. And so as his challenge to God came, God said, hey, you're out. And he cast him out to the earth, wiped out about a third of the angels with him who agreed with Satan. And he's been on this earth since then. And he shows up very, very early. Genesis 1, God's telling us of his great love. He's telling us of of his plan and how awesome he is and how great he is. And then in in 2, he's creating things and he's telling Adam to go and do things. He literally says, hey, Adam, I want you, since I've created you, I want you to just go live a life of obedience, right? If we just boil it down to it, I'm God, I've created, you're part of my creation, be obedient. That's what he says. He says, these are animals, go name them. Okay. So he goes and names animals. And then he says, go find a help, something to be a help to you. He comes back and goes, God, nothing's really a help to me. Creates a woman. Amazing creation. Amazing helper. To Adam and to us today. And then all of a sudden, Genesis 3, verse 1. Read this with me. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Shrewdest, crafty. uh, You know, shrewd's not one of those words you really want to be called. Uh, One day he asked the woman, did God really say? And then he goes on. But I want us to focus right there on those four words. Did God really say? Satan's this one who comes in and his chief job is to bring disruption, distraction into the life. And he brings it to early creation. He brings it right to the only two things that God created that he had community with, relationship with, right? We read that, you know, they walked with God in the cool of the day. How awesome would that be to be just strolling through, I mean, a garden or wherever you are, just like you're just there with your wife um, obviously they're naked. So there's one thing. And so they're just kind of walking and then God's with them and, and they're just talking. They're just hanging out, just strolling in the cool of the day. What is that like? And then this guy just shows up to bring distraction into their life. Can I clue you in on something that has been happening since Genesis three, one Satan has continued to bring distraction on this creation since then. He doesn't exist like we do. He, he, he has a, a date of, of final destruction. And I don't really think he notices that. You talk about somebody busy about today's work. What Jesus told us to focus on so much was 
the things that are at hand. Why? Because the evil one is, is, is prowling around and he's meandering himself and finding ways into your life. This is all he does. He walks into our life and he causes this distraction. Uh, hey, Brandon, did, did God really say don't, don't look at women like that? Did God really say to do? Did God really say? And why does he do that? It's because we don't believe. Or we don't know enough to believe. We think we believe. He is going to continue to cause distraction and frustration in our life. That is his goal. Steal, kill, destroy, pervert the truth. Like, that's his resume. He does nothing other than that. Satan's greatest attempts on our faith is distraction. It's the greatest attempt on our faith. For those of us who say Jesus is our Savior, his greatest attempt on our faith is for him to bring distraction to our life. He will continue to operate this way. We're going to read about some distraction today. I got, there's some characters in scripture that I saw when we were looking at this, he greater than I, Mary and Martha. We're very familiar with this passage, um, out of Luke where, uh, Jesus is coming into town. He's got the disciples with him. He's been teaching, uh, like crazy with the men and he's walking through and he just goes, uh, to this home. He's been invited. So he comes into this home and, and we know two things that are going on. We know that, um, that Mary is seated, uh, just soaking up time with Jesus and Martha is, is working her brains out trying to get the house ready. So let's, let's dive into scripture today. Uh, Luke 10, 38 through 42. And as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, like we said, sat at the Lord's feet, right? Great little sister, just sitting around doing nothing, uh, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? You know, Marsha, 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 um, tell her to get up and help me. And I really think it was kind of something like that tone. You know, like we, if, if you're married, you, you've seen that tone maybe on your kids. A lot of times it's you Sunday afternoon, Fox on NFL, you know, on Sunday. And it's like, are you going to sit there while I do all the work? You know, huh? Well, I was, <laughs> and I'm still going to, if you walk away. And so, <laughs> but the Lord said to her, <laughs> my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. And I love how scripture reads right there again. Martha's coming with attitude and Jesus isn't replying with attitude. He's replying calmly. He says, Hey, look, I know you're, I know you're distracted. And if truth be told for Jesus in this passage, if truth be told, he always had a plan everywhere he went, right? We see it with Zacchaeus. I have to go through this town. Why? Cause there's this little tiny guy hanging out in a tree <laughs> like a possum and he's up there and he wants to see me and everybody hates him and I got to go. And so I know for Jesus, he is walking into this town. He's like, I'm going to dinner and this is going to be epic. <laughs> Boys, get ready. Sisters are going to fight. And so, you know, they get there and he sits down and it's just like Mary just falls down and she's just like, you know, teach me, tell me, love me. Oh, this is so great. You're so thank you so much for being in here. It's so great that you're here. And then Martha's just going crazy over the food, going crazy over the details. I love the fact that in this passage, if, if, if we could go back, um, I'm, I'm, if we can go back to the passage that had the word Jerusalem in it. Can you guys jump back to that one for me? 
Let's see if we can get it. As Jesus was on his way, I think it was the next one. You'll see where it says the word Jerusalem in the passage right here. It says on their way to Jerusalem. And I was doing this word study. I love, I love words as, as more than I love numbers, obviously. But I love, I love words in scripture because they have meaning. And if you take the word Jerusalem and you break it down, you go back to the Hebrew, uh, the first part, the, the Jeru part right there, uh, it literally means pointing or flowing, like a river would flow and point towards something. Or if you stretch out your hand and point, the way it's translated is you're pointing, you're flowing toward a direction. And then the, the second part, the Salem part, Jerusalem, right there, the second part means to completeness. It's two Hebrew words put together, pointing to completeness. And it says, as Jesus was on his way. So Jesus is not only on his way to the word that means pointing to completeness. What is Jesus himself? The way to completeness. And he ends up in a house that's distracted. And what does distraction need? Calmness. And Jesus references that. He says, hey, you're, you're so distracted by everything. It's a great question right here. Why was Martha distracted? Let's just look at the text. Why was she distracted? Number one, she let cleanliness and cookiness be her God. Now, again, that just became her God. I got to get my house ready. Uh, this guy named Jesus, he's a great teacher. He's done miracles. Oh, he's so popular. I mean, oh, he's coming. It's like, I guess it would be, what it would be in my house if, if my daughter found, and my wife found out Justin Bieber were coming. Like him or not, I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, preferences here. I'm just saying, like, there's a crush on Justin Bieber for some reason in my house by two women, the only two women who live in my house. And if they found out he was coming... That place would be spotless and I'd still be sitting back watching the game. Like I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm not helping you clean. I don't like this guy. And so, um, so there's this, this attraction to Jesus coming in and one is, is going to sit and the other is going to go crazy. She was, she just let it, she let this distraction become her God. And I want to know for us. And again, you know, I know there's, there's ladies in the room who, who home cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not biblical, but it's something we like saying. Uh, and for men, it's our, it's our, it's our tools. You know, don't touch the tools now. You mess the tools up. I don't know where stuff is. And like, where's my hammer? Where'd you do with my hammer? And the kids, I left it in the backyard. Now it's rusted. Like, you know, just that kind of stuff. It just gets on our nerves. And so we let organization and certain things become our God because that's so important to us. In translation, we let our work of what we think will impress the Messiah become our God. I want you to know he's not impressed with our work. Because again, just like Adam, God called us into a life of obedience, not into a life of showmanship. And Martha allowed cleanliness and cooking and preparation and all those things to become her God. She allowed Satan to distract her. Jesus is on his way to the house. I don't have a problem with that. Satan, I don't have a problem with that. Come on in. Bring him on in. Watch this. I probably can't get both these girls, but one of them, I'm going to do it. Martha, your house is really dirty. You probably should clean it. I mean, Jesus is coming. Don't sweep it under the rug. Sweep it out the back door. No, don't make that thing that, that's, that's always bad. Make the thing that everyone loves, but it's so hard to cook. Make the one thing that you think will impress him. Yeah, okay, so he turned water into wine, but who cares? Like, up that, make crystal light. I don't know, something. He's just distracting her like crazy. And guys, again, the word I use here, she allowed it. She allowed the distraction into her life. She allowed Satan to, to, to distract her. 
We allow these things. He cannot be greater than us. We can't live a life where we don't put ourselves over him if we're constantly letting Satan into our life to distract us. We choose that distraction. He is going to always attempt distraction. Sometimes it's a brick in front of you. Sometimes it's a rope to trip you up. Sometimes it's whatever you're thinking of right now. We choose to be tripped up time and time and time again by those things. But notice the comparison here. So we have Martha in her distraction. We have Mary in her focus. But why was Mary focused? Why was it that in the house that she lived in, where she lived with a sister who had a a priority to cleanliness, why at that time did she choose? Well, Scripture tells us, of course, she found the one thing. She found the one thing that she would chase after and be a part of, that when it came into her house, she said, I'll sell out to everything as long as I get to sit at his feet. So that's where we find her, sitting. The next thing is this, we have to understand, looking at the text, time with Jesus brings peace to us. And I'm telling you, I believe personally in my own life, when I'm distracted by Satan, the things I allow him to distract me with, when I focus on everything else, when I just stop and remember the psalm, be still and, and know that I'm God. And I actually sit and focus. For me, it's outside. It's, it's in the backyard, looking at the sunset, looking at trees, watching squirrels run. It's just, just something of peace and quiet. It reminds me of the one thing that I have found. And it reminds me that the time that I've neglected with him, how precious it is when he's there and it brings peace into my life. It doesn't solve every situation. I mean, the bills are still going to be due. But it brings a peace and a comfort of knowing, hey, the calamity is still there, Brandon, but I'm with you. Mary found that. She found the one thing, as Jesus said, And she let it become her God. Time with Jesus. Why? Because it brings peace to us. When we have an experience with Jesus, just like this experience Martha had, it changes our focus and priorities. Remember, Jesus didn't chastise her. He comforted her. My dear Martha. My sweet friend. Martha. Martha. He doesn't scream it at her. He doesn't stand up, point his finger and chastise her. That's not the way the scripture was written. He comforts her. Because also we know this. In those times that we are distracted and frazzled and and, and messed up, we need a peaceful voice to speak to us. Think about Jesus and the disciples in the boat in the storm. And they're all like, man, something's going on. You don't even care. Jesus, we're going to die. And he just goes, peace, be still. He's not screaming. He doesn't have to scream. He calms with his voice and he calms her down. So when you have this experience, it changes your focus. It changes your priorities. Guys, it it would change your preferences as well. Check this out, though. But that doesn't stop Satan from continuing to bring distraction, does it? Just because Jesus speaks peace over us doesn't mean he's just going to go, whoops, Jesus in the room, I'm out. (laughs) Nope. He continues to bring distraction. He continues to bring distraction. I want you uh, to look at scripture, John, uh, John chapter 11. So we're in the book of Luke. We're meeting Mary and Martha. Now we're going to John 11 and, uh, 
Jesus is, is coming back again. He's, he's kind of out. He's doing business. You know, he's out traveling and getting things done. Uh, and, and there's this distraction that comes back into uh, Martha and Mary's life. Their brother, Lazarus. Jesus loved him. He was a friend to Jesus. He was a follower. Well, he's died. He's really, really sick. And, and now he's, he has died. And all through uh, John 11, we read this account of what's going on. And there's, oh, he's so sick. He's probably going to die. And the word gets to Jesus. He's like, well, I got to stay here. I got to get things done. Um, and, and so finally he's telling his disciples, hey, we need to go back. And they're literally like, hey, Jesus, we don't, want, we don't need to go back there. Uh, remember the last time we were there, they were like throwing stones at you. And they're really mad. And we got hit by some of them. They kind of hurt us. And it'd be better if we'd stay here where people like us. Right? Distraction. The disciples are really good at being distracted. And so look at this passage right here. This is so great. And so this is John 11. So again, we're going to kind of speed through things. I want us to see what's going on. Uh, so, so Jesus, he told them plainly, well, Lazarus is dead. He, again, he's been saying, hey, he's sick. I need to go back. No, 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 we can't go. Uh, they're going to hurt us. So we don't want to get stuff. And he just goes, okay, great. He's dead. How about that? Can we go now? Can we go now? Now that he's dead, can we go? And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. What did Jesus just say? Did you guys see that? He's dead. And for your sake, disciples following me, those who say you believe in me, who really right now are acting like you don't believe in me. I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come and let's go see him. Jesus takes these men, brings them in and goes, they're like, he's like, well, they're sick. He's sick. I need to go. <laughs> well, just wait. We'll go at night. We'll go when no one's expecting. We'll sneak in. Sneak. I mean, it's all these excuses they're trying to give Jesus. And he finally goes, well, he's dead. Again, he's Jesus. He knows these things. Well, he's just dead. And then he says, but so for your sake, I'm glad I didn't go because now you're going to believe. Now you'll see my power. Now, not only see my power, but hopefully you're going to see this gospel unfold. This thing of, hey, death doesn't even have control over me. And so he says, you know, let, let's come. Let's go see him. And he, he actually, Jesus is speaking positively in this. You know, typically when we get news, someone has passed away, family member, friend, or, 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 or relative to someone that is our friend. We don't hear them go, hey, let's go see him. We say, we're on our way to the funeral. We have to go now. To, to this portion. Their life is, has ended on this earth, and now we have to go take part in the service. And Jesus doesn't say, he says, let's go see him. The, the emphasis is on, like, <laughs> mostly, mostly for Jesus, like, let's go see what I'm about to do. You guys are going to be amazed. And we see this passage, and we like, oh, man, Jesus is going to go do something great, right? We have scripture, we have text, we've heard, we've heard the messages. We know Lazarus is, is going to get raised back to dead. But again, distraction is always coming, right? And even in the greatest of miracles, there's always distraction. Very next, very next verse. Look at this. Thomas. We know Thomas, right? Thomas. He's alive. If I don't see the scars in his hands and his feet and I want to stick my hand inside, I don't really believe it's him. Right? This guy. Look what he says. He said to his disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. I love sarcasm in scripture. I love the fact that when something is so positive, things are going in such a great way. There's always one guy, right? There's always one Thomas in a group that's like, okay, let's go die with him. I mean, he's just so positive. You think it's like an encouraging verse. It's really not. The guy really was just a jokester. And he's sitting here going, we're going to go die with Jesus. (laughs) Oh, boy. 
Because again, remember what they're saying? They're throwing rocks at you. They're gonna, and he's confident. Let's go see him. And there's this one guy. So, and again, I want you to know that even when Jesus speaks truth to us, there's always something going to be thrown in front of you to bring distraction. There's always going to be something that lands at your feet. And it may be someone in your circle of influence. It may be someone you are so close to. It may be a really, really good friend of yours who continually throws water on the fire that Jesus has brought. So we get to this part. Jesus has come into town and now Lazarus is truly dead. Check this out. Talk about a life that went from sort of belief to belief. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She meets him. In fact, not only does she meet Jesus in in this passage as it's written, her and Mary are back at her house. And she gets word that he is on his way and she goes out of the house to meet him. She runs down the street. And as she greets Jesus, she doesn't say, I'm so glad to see you. She says, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. There are a lot of, of, of but statements in scripture. Read this one. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She brings a but statement to Jesus. She says, hey, I know if, if you had been here. He would not have died. But I know that even with you here now, God will give you whatever you ask for. And guess who's not also, guess who's not just the only one asking for this? She's saying, Jesus, you can ask the father to heal my brother. You can ask the father to raise him from the dead. I'm asking you to. In her heart, she is saying, I want you to do this. And Jesus' reply. Yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. She is confessing out loud in front of others, in front of a crowd, who Jesus is. I want you to read this. This confession leads to salvation. In your life, verbal, out loud confession of who Jesus Christ is brings salvation, rescue into your life. Open confession in a life of distraction will bring salvation and bring rescue as well. And what do we need when we are so distracted? When Satan is bringing distraction to us, we need an open confession of who Jesus is. And Jesus, if you had been here, I wouldn't have chosen sinning. But now that you're here, I know that anything you ask of your father, you can do. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Whatever it is, that that verbal confession will bring that salvation, that rescue. Dare say, peace into your life. This great confession that we have leads to salvation. And here's what it looks like in John uh, 10, 10, I mean, Romans 10, 10. Paul says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. Inside of us, when we believe inside of our, of our being who God is, it says you are made right with God by believing in your heart. But it's also by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I want us to go back to the beginning part. And where was Jesus 
when we first started reading, he was inside Martha's house, right? It was an internal thing for him to be in her house. It was an internal thing for him to be in her house. And in that moment inside of her house, there was distraction and there was frustration. And he brings peace. And he brings someone that she's very close to and says, see what she's found? See the one thing that she's found and it's not going to be taken from her. And he says, hey, if you want that, I can bring it. I'm in your house. It's internal. And then... As her brother has died, we find in another book of the New Testament inside the Gospels, we go from Luke when Jesus is in their, inside their house to now Lazarus is dead and Martha leaves her house to go into public. See, a lot of times it's really easy to confess who we love and, and what we adore and where our priorities are inside. Inside this house, it's easy to confess that. Inside your house, it's easy to confess that. You know where it's really hard to confess that? Outside those doors. In the restaurant you'll go to for lunch. It's really hard to confess that outwardly. But that is where salvation comes from. Look at this question. So how can we believe a life? How can we live a life that reflects and confesses he is greater than I? How can we do that? We got to know that internally we have to believe. And externally we have to confess The only way we get a life that looks like this, the only way we replace me over he is to go from internal belief to external confession. Martha has done an amazing job of living this in front of us such to the point it was recorded in scripture over two books of the gospel. When we see a transformed life. Your friends, your family will see a transformed life from you when you stop living inside and you take it externally outside. The only way that we can continue to confess and the only way that we can reflect is to confess in confessing that he is greater than I is by living it externally. And no matter what happens in our life, acknowledging that it all comes from him. And again, Satan's going to continue, guys. Not even barely after this passage is written. Her confession externally, people begin to hear. They see Jesus. They hear her testimony. They see Lazarus come out of a grave alive. He had been there for four days. Even to the point where they're like, hey, he's really going to smell Jesus. You don't want to go in there. Lazarus walks out and guys, the crowd, the disciples are overwhelmed. Revival breaks out. You know what happens in the very next chapter? What happens right there or or actually the middle of this chapter in John chapter 11, the very next line says, now the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were really frustrated with Jesus and they began their plan. They began their plan to turn on him, to bring him in. So again, the greatness is going to happen. Revival is going to break out. Satan's going to do what he does. Our focus, our priorities must be on him. We can't stay inside. We must believe it inside, inside of us, inside of our homes, inside of our churches, no matter where we are. But we have to live it out. We have to go out and exclaim it and profess and let Satan do what he's going to do. Because you know what? God is going to do what only he can do. When Satan does those things, 
He'll bring forgiveness. He'll bring grace. He'll, he'll shower the mercy on his people. He'll bring revival. He'll bring resurrection to those. But he can't if we don't go. We can't stay inside. We have to live a life that he is greater than us. Here's a couple of next steps for you. First of all, you need to ask Jesus to come into your house and be saved. If you're here today and you say, hey, he's never been in my house. And what I mean by house is your heart, your life, your being right now. If you can say he's not in me, I don't know Jesus. You may say, I'm, I have actually heard about him for the first time today. In this room, in my living room, and driving down the road, wherever you're listening and, and taking this in. And today you can say, hey, I, I really want to know more about him. Today, I want to know about this salvation. Today, I want to know how I can live a life that's changed, how I can live a life that I can confess him. Well, this is what we have to do. We just have to ask him to come into your house, come into your life. And guess what? According to his word, he will save you. Your open confession, Jesus, I want your salvation. Jesus, I want your life. Jesus, I want to know that, that, that I can continue to worship you while I'm on this earth, that I get to live uh, learning about you and chasing after you and following you. Not living perfectly, Jesus. You did that. But I get to follow you. And then when I die, I get to live forever with you. Oh, I want that. So you have to invite him into your house. And then lastly, the next thing. is, And this is what, this is what Jesus told, told Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Lazarus had faith in Jesus. And he said, hey, he believed in me. He's one of my best friends. Watch this. Lazarus, come out of there. And he came out. And he says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Your life on this earth may end in death, but your life eternally can survive in heaven with the Father, with the Son. You do not have to spend eternity in hell. But if you're going to let Satan continue to distract you and continue to take your focus away, when you see Jesus and he pulls you away and you never invite him into your house... I'm here to tell you that's where you will spend eternity, separated from God. So keep your eyes, keep your mind, keep your heart focused on Jesus. And remember, to do this, we need to do one thing. We just need to continue to move toward completeness in Jesus. Continue to move forward in completeness. Jerusalem, pointing the way to completeness. Jesus is completeness and he is he's asking you to be complete in him today may be a day of salvation for someone in this room today may be a day of salvation for someone at home and it is very very simple to ask Jesus into your house into your heart and there's many prayers you could pray but the simplest one is Jesus, I'm a sinner. I am lost. I want you to save me. As we're wrapping up this morning, our, our prayer team in just a moment, they're going to move to the front. You could have a moment of praying for salvation and they are ready to receive you. But listen, some of you may be in your home right now and you are just completely, absolutely distracted. 
and you feel like no matter what, your attention is always elsewhere other than Jesus, our prayer team would love to pray over you and share with you and hug you. And just, you know, again, there's, there's lots of buts in Scripture because they're going to look at you and say, yeah, but God, rich in mercy, full of grace, extending, flowing love towards you can overcome all of that. This morning you have an opportunity to move into something. Maybe to move out of where you are comfortable now, out publicly in this space towards some prayer team. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Thank you, Father, for this amazing testimony of these lives in front of us that we've read today, specifically of Martha. And God, we've lived a life of distraction so many times. We've lived a life focused on so many other things other than you. And God, in this moment, I'm praying that that someone today would acknowledge that distraction, would move forward. God, I pray your power, your spirit over this room right now to take control. So many situations are going on, God. So much distraction from Satan this past week. So much is going to happen today as well. And I pray for moments where we sit at your feet like Mary. And we soak up time with you. Father, I pray for opportunities in this room for someone that maybe is a Lazarus right now that just needs to hear the words, come on, come out, come to life. And that they would truly be obedient to walk into salvation that only you can bring. Journey Church family, if you would stand in this moment with me. And God, I continue to pray your presence in this room. Lord, you move. God, may it be done by your will. In your name.